Today's episode of First Look ETF is brought to you by the New York Stock Exchange, the home of ETFs. To hear from experts across the ETF market, visit homeofetfs.com. NYSE has sponsored this production by ETF Guide LLC for illustrative, informational, and educational purposes only, without regard to any particular investor's objectives, financial situation, or circumstances. NYSE neither represents nor warrants the accuracy or correctness of any of the statements in the production, which has been independently assembled by ETF Guide LLC and with whom sole editorial control rests. NYSE makes no recommendation as to possible benefits from any securities or trading strategies, and this production is not a rec- recommendation, offer, or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any security or engage in any trading strategy. Prior to the execution of a purchase or sale of any security, you are advised to consult with your own advisors. Hello and welcome to First Look ETF. I'm Stephanie Stanton with ETF Guide. This is your September 2022 edition. Coming up on today's show, we'll examine investing opportunities overseas with a trio of ETFs targeting emerging markets like Taiwan, Mexico, and others. And for investors seeking strong and consistent dividend returns, we'll explore a new actively managed ETF that taps into some tried and true yield stocks. But first, as always, let's get a quick recap of the latest ETF activity on the New York Stock Exchange. Douglas Jonas joining us live from the floor of the NYSE. Uh, Actually, I should say you're not really from the floor, but technically you're from the floor. Hi, Douglas. It's good to see you again. Hi, Stephanie. Yeah, I'm above the floor on the members gallery here at the New York Stock Exchange. All right. Let's start with the latest update on launch activity for ETFs. How is everything looking right now? Yeah, I mean, August was a really busy month. No shock, the theme and trend continues. 39 new ETFs listed on the U.S. markets. That's bringing the total to 264 ETFs year to date. And guess what? The assets are coming with them. Over $28 billion in net cash flow this year. So it's been a tremendous year. That's a lot. Well, you know, professional services firm PwC forecasts assets in the global ETF industry to reach 20 trillion by the year 2026. If the ETF industry is able to hit or exceed the 20 trillion target, what do you think will be the driving force behind the growth? Yeah, a lot of these different forecasts are out there. And and for the most part, we agree with them. In fact, we find a lot of them to be a bit conservative. Special note, this month we will break 3,000 ETFs listed here in the U.S. with over $6 trillion in assets under management. And that growth is coming from a lot of different areas. We know a lot about the benefits and those key benefits from ETFs. They tend to be lower cost. They give investors a lot of ease of access. They tend to be more tax efficient. And there are these very large macro trends which are driving a lot of that product growth. We're seeing mutual fund conversions direct into an ETF. That's happened starting last year. This year is no exception. We're seeing very unique structured products being wrapped in an ETF. And of course, a lot of brand new asset managers entering the ETF 
U.S. space. Last year, you might remember this from a previous episode, 55 brand new asset managers launched last year with ETFs. This year, we will break that number at the New York Stock Exchange. I always note for those that are watching and thinking about the ETF industry, you can contact me or my team via social, places like LinkedIn, or email us at etf at nyse.com if you want to talk about bringing your ETFs to the New York Stock Exchange. Yeah, I mean, so much going on in the world of ETFs. Before we go, any other notable trends worth mentioning? Yeah, you know, part of the episode today, we're going to talk about active ETFs. That trend continues. Over half of all ETFs launched this year are actively managed. And, you know, the the the, the AUM, it's there. The cash flow year-to-date, $24 billion in net cash flow for active. So we continue to see it. If you're interested in learning more about active ETFs, we have a fortnightly newsletter for the New York Stock Exchange. You can find it all on our website, homeofetfs.com. You could subscribe there and learn a lot more about ETFs as well as actively managed ETFs. All right. A lot going on. It is great to see you. As always, Douglas Jonas from the NYSE. Take care. Before we go any further, just a quick reminder that we simulcast First Look ETF on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, and other major podcasting platforms, so be sure to check it out there. With expectations of lower growth in the stock market ahead, some investors are counting on dividends to pick up the slack. Well, how can you tap the power of dividend income? John Leslie, Portfolio Manager with Miller Howard Investments, is here to break it all down for us. Hi, John. It is great to have you with us. Hi, Stephanie. Thank you. So with lower growth expectations in the equity market, more investors are counting on dividend income. Your firm recently introduced the actively managed USCF dividend income ETF, uh, that ticker UDI. Why is active management over passive so important right now in the high dividend yield space? Well, as the uh, economics uh, change, you know, dividend uh, growth expectations are going to be changing as well. And uh, you have to be able to react uh, to that. Um, you know, we like to uh, to be able to recycle capital as uh, perhaps a uh, company's uh, stock price outpaces its dividend growth. The yield will go down and we want to be able to recycle that capital rather than having to wait for a uh, some particular arbitrary uh, rebalance date. Yeah, I mean, that makes total sense. Tell us a little bit more about UDI's underlying holdings, along with its country and industry sector weightings. Okay, uh, the uh, UDI is is really uh, entirely uh, U.S.-based. Um, we uh, are looking for high current income, uh, growth of income, financial strength uh, in, you know, wherever sector uh, we can find it. Uh, this is, however, a uh, a uh, ESG strategy, and therefore it's going to uh, avoid the uh, most uh, egregious uh, carbon-intensive companies. Um, but you know, we will pretty much be uh, across the the board. You know, we want uh, to get uh, high current income. Uh, because, you know, income is always positive. We want to make sure that, uh, you know, that uh, uh, people can live off the income if they need it. Um, and we want growth of income, of course, because that will help uh, uh, investors uh, maintain their purchasing power. 
uh, as they go on and uh, have to worry about inflation. You know, as uh, price levels go up, uh, sales go up, profits go up, and dividends go up. So that will help them there as well. Yeah, and when you think of dividend stocks, you know, you always have your tried and true, a lot of the same names out there. Do you keep a lot of the uh, same names or are you rotating different companies in and out? No, I mean, we really go uh, go pretty uh, pretty broadly. Um, you know, we have uh, something like uh, Texas Instruments in the uh, portfolio. That's not necessarily a company that, uh, you know, people think of when they think of uh, dividends. But, uh, you know, Texas Instruments has had tremendous uh, growth uh, over the time period that we've owned it. Uh, you know, another company that, uh, that we own is uh, Lamar Advertising. Uh, that's a REIT. It has a high yield, uh, but they also have a lot of growth opportunities converting traditional billboards into electronic billboards, uh, which offers a, a great return on investment for them. How do you guys see UDI being deployed inside an overall investment portfolio? Well, I mean, there's there's really two uh, two groups that, that we think about uh, savers and, and spenders. You know, the spenders are people who are looking to uh, live off the income of, of their portfolio. And, you know, the 4% rule really is, is doesn't work. It, it's very time dependent. It depends on when they retired as well as uh, how long they need for their uh, their portfolio. You know, if, if you're uh, we went back and did historical modeling and, you know, if somebody retired at the end of 1928, in 25 years, uh, they had completely run out of money, whereas if they retired four years later uh, in 1932, uh, you know, they would have uh, had $14 million at the end of, of 25 years. So, you know, you, you have no idea beforehand which is going to more closely approximate your experience. So we think you're much better off spending from uh, income. And then if the stock market is going up or down, as long as your dividends are safe, you can maintain your, uh, your purchasing power and you can maintain your lifestyle. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. John Leslie, thank you so much for sharing more about your latest ETF, UDI. We appreciate your time today. Thank you, Stephanie. Although international and emerging market stocks have trailed their U.S. peers during the past decade, could we be entering a new phase in the global stock market? We'll hear to discuss a possible shift in market leadership and a trio of new ETFs linked to emerging markets is John Paul Leach, Portfolio Manager at Matthews Asia. Hi, John Paul. It is great to have you with us. It's great to be here. Okay, so your firm recently introduced three ETFs targeting emerging markets. Let me first share the ticker symbols of each of these, MCH, MINV, and MEM. All of the funds are actively managed. How will the new Matthews Asia ETFs complement your current mutual fund lineup? Yes, well, thank you. So Matthews Asia is a San Francisco-based asset manager with uh, 30 years of heritage and in investing in, in Asia, and we've recently expanded our purview into broad emerging markets as well. So uh, we run a variety of strategies, running from single country strategies to Asia regional and now diversified emerging markets. Uh, MCH is the new active ETF for our uh, flagship China strategy. 
MINV is an Asia Innovation Fund, and MEM is the, the, the strategy that I run, which is uh, focused on diversified emerging markets. So all of these strategies uh, are effectively the same funds as their uh, mutual fund counterparts, uh, but with the advantages of uh, an ETF, which are interday liquidity, uh, price discovery, potential tax advantages, and, and for some asset owners, they just frankly like an ETF better. Yeah, let's take a deeper dive on MEM. Um, tell us about some of the fund's holdings and your overall strategy. Great. So we're a company first uh, fund. We're bottom up. And, you know, the guiding principle here is that there are great companies all around the world uh, and many of them are in our sandbox. Uh, so I think uh, MEM is a little bit different than some of our competitors, perhaps, uh, because we are actively managed. We hold anywhere between 35 to 55 stocks at a time. Uh, we have valuation metrics that are pretty much in line with the MSCI benchmark, but with higher growth and, and quality metrics and lower leverage. So I think that's a real differentiating factor. Uh, as I mentioned, we're, we're rather broad in our, in our purview, which allows us to invest in uh, some of the frontier countries as well. Uh, so at present, uh, Vietnam is, is a quite large exposure within uh, the strategy. Uh, and that's a, a country that's growing very, very robustly right now and, and something that a lot of uh, traditional emerging market strategies might not have. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, uh, if there are companies that are listed in Canada or Europe but have very large uh, ties back to our, our geographies or in the form of revenue or profits, uh, those are within our purview as well. So that's another differentiator. So I think it's a very unique strategy, something that really tries to call out some of the pitfalls that exist within emerging markets and really focus on those areas uh, where quality and growth exist. You talked about being actively managed. I mean, with the market uncertainties that we're seeing right now, do you feel like actively managed ETFs are a, a better way to go, at least in the short term? Well, I absolutely think that there are uh, issues with every underlying index uh, in terms of composition, both at the country and sector level, as, as, as well as, um, you know, just as well as what's included. Uh, and so I think that the actively managed strategy allows us to capture that growth uh, with avoiding some of the governance pitfalls or uh, over-concentration in, in certain industries or, or, or subsectors thereof. Uh, so I think there's a lot of advantages to active, particularly within the EM space, because these markets are less developed and tend to be less efficient than perhaps some of their developed market uh, counterparts. What really excites me about emerging markets right now, as opposed to you know two decades ago when I started in this business, is the quality of, of companies that exist. So there are truly some of the, the, the best companies in the world and glo global leaders in certain segments that are likely underrepresented in U.S. Uh, asset um, owners' portfolios if they're not including emerging markets within their, their allocation. Before we let you go, um, how do you see the new Matthews Asia ETFs being used by investors and financial advisors? Sure. Well, I think that the, uh, the new ETFs can either form uh, a core, a complement, or a replacement for uh, different asset owner portfolios. Uh, so uh, we provide a solution that definitely could be a, a core solution for your emerging market exposure. Uh, there are certainly thematic investors who want increased exposure to tech and innovation, Asia being 50% of the world's population with uh, you know, a lot of great companies coming out. Is, is something that is definitely underrepresented in portfolios. Um, and China is a, is a market with a lot of complexities and our China fund uh, 
has a lot of advantages in terms of its ability to dig deeper onto the onshore A-share markets. So I think they could be either a core exposure, a complement, or a replacement for uh, asset owners who currently have a passive solution. All right, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much, John Paul, for joining us here on First Look ETF. It's great to have you. Thank you very much. It's great to be with you, Stephanie. And that does it for today's episode of First Look ETF. If you enjoyed the show, tell us in the comments section below and by hitting the like button. A big thanks to all of our guests, along with Douglas Jonas from the New York Stock Exchange. Be sure to check out homeofetfs.com to learn more. And don't forget to pick up the podcast version of First Look ETF. It is available on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, and other major podcasting platforms. I'm Stephanie Stanton with ETF Guide. Thanks so much for watching. We'll see you next time. Today's episode of First Look ETF is brought to you by the New York Stock Exchange, the home of ETFs. To hear from experts across the ETF market, visit homeofetfs.com. NYSE has sponsored this production by ETF Guide LLC for illustrative, informational, and educational purposes only, without regard to any particular investor's objectives, financial situation, or circumstances. NYSE neither represents nor warrants the accuracy or correctness of any of the statements in the production, which has been independently assembled by ETF Guide LLC and with whom sole editorial control rests. NYSE makes no recommendation as to possible benefits from any securities or trading strategies, and this production is not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any security or engage in any trading strategy. Prior to the execution of a purchase or sale of any security, you are advised to consult with your own advisors.